today's episode, we are going to be hearing from Kathy Frank, who's a retired educator in Jefferson County Public Schools. And the book that we're going to be looking at today is Dare to Lead by author Brene Brown. This is another book that isn't necessarily intended for educational leadership, but I found some um, things that felt very, very applicable to me. So we'll just jump right in. Dare to Lead begins with a discussion about vulnerability. And to me, moving from the classroom into a leadership role definitely felt like a vulnerable situation. She would define vulnerability as the universal emotion we feel when times are risky and uncertain, or we are at the mercy of other people's actions. And if that doesn't define leadership, I'm not sure what does, because what we're doing matters. Um, but it is very uncertain, and the world is uncertain right now, and we aren't sure how to step forward, so we step forward in faith, and we figure it out with the people around us, and, and we try some things. Um, so Brene would argue that it's important to be vulnerable in leadership um, because it's not a sign of weakness. It's a, fi- a sign of strength. It d- demonstrates that you are willing to step into that fear and uncertainty. Um, Then she talks a lot about focusing on your core values, and that's actually a theme we'll see throughout the books. Um, She would argue that it's important to come up with or or identify at least two core values for yourself, and those things should guide your decision-making and guide your discussions with people, guide your work. Um, And then it talked about building trust within your system, and that the way that we build trust in a system is through these things, and she uses the acronym BRAVING. The first is boundary setting, that it's important to respect each other's limits and clarify our own if we're going to be in a collaborative relationship with each other. Secondly, reliability. We have to trust each other to keep our word. Then accountability. Um, It is normal to make mistakes. It is important that we own those when we make them. Um, Then there's vault closing. So being sure that we don't break confidentiality, especially in education, where there's so much of what we talk about that is confidential, that matters so, much, so deeply to families and to students that we, we keep it confidential. And we have integrity, um, so co- not compromising those two core values at any point. Um, and then non-ju- non-judgment, where we replace judgment with curiosity, and then we're able to better connect with one another. Then we have generosity, Um, and in that, we are looking for um, being generous with the way that we interpret and expect things, Um, and people will come to us if we're generous of spirit in that way. So in just a moment, we're going to hear from Kathy Frank about some of her thoughts about Dare to Lead. Thanks for joining us today. Okay, so today we are going to be talking with Kathy Frank, who is a retired principal from Jeffco Public Schools. Kathy, what schools did you work in in Jeffco? As a principal, I was at Peck Elementary for eight years and Vanderhoof Elementary for eight years. And you were just saying that you've been retired for 17 years? That is true. (laughs) That is awesome. (laughs) (laughs) So today, Kathy and I are going to be talking about the book Dare to Lead by Brene Brown. So we're going to just jump right into the questions. Um, Brene Brown, in her book, talks about the idea that what comes, what stands in the way comes in the way. And she lists 10 different things that kind of get in the way of leadership in an organization. Kathy, which of these did you find most came in your way in your leadership? And how did you combat those? 
Well, in looking at the list, the first one that she talks about, avoiding tough conversations, including giving honest, productive feedback, that is true. It was hard to get teachers to think about what it was they were doing and then be willing to talk about how they might change. So at the time, we did not have coaches. We just had me working with teachers. And so it was it behooved me to think about what it was I needed to do to be positive, but also to say, what is it that we need to do? And because I think by the time I had been a principal for, you know, 14, 15 years, 16 in total, people did trust me and they were willing to listen to me, even though feedback was tough and there wasn't always immediate change. Mm. Uh, when I look at some of these others uh, on the list, um, it is hard to spend time working with people to talk about how they feel about change, what they fear about change. What we did some of the time was try to work with, we called them our tick levels, so we had teams where there were kindergarten through sixth grade teachers all um, on one team mm -hmm. during twice a month, we would do that during staff meetings so that we could talk about what was happening longitudinally so that we could make better change for kids. And that brought up questions about, well, is this so we don't finger point? You know, if only in third grade you had done that, then we wouldn't be having these problems in fourth grade, that kind of thing. So I think that was one of the ways that we tried to deal with people sharing their feelings and their fears as we tried to move towards change. I think about that in particular when we were working on how you set up rubrics for kids mm -hmm. and if we could do that systemically, that seemed to make a difference so that we weren't finger pointing. Right. Um, I think trust, I, I think that is key. If you don't have trust with your staff, they're not gonna listen to you no matter what you're doing. And so trust is key Begin any conversation with a staff so that if they trust you, they're willing to step out of line and change things, in my opinion, um, and take risks. I, I, I remember that we did have, there was actually a study in Jeffco <laughs> called the Stepping Out of Line Schools, mm -hmm. and uh, I was fortunate to be selected as one of those schools with the staff that I had and we talked about what we were doing differently so that people would take risks um, so that they would be willing to change what they were doing even though they had found success with what they were doing they were willing to uh, step out of line and be willing to risk to change what they were doing. Do you feel like, so she talked about trust being kind of built through connection and empathy. Did you find that to be true in your career? Absolutely. Uh, when I went to Vanderhoof in 1996, there was not a lot of trust. I came in and there were many um, jobs that uh, needed to be filled because a new elementary had opened and the principal before me took half the staff. So those who were left... Uh, some had applied for the new school and were not selected. 
And so they were feeling negatively about themselves. And then we had to hire a bunch of people to come in. And so those in the beginning were looked at as, quote, my people and not the staff. And so it took probably two years to build trust. And then when people realized that I really was doing what I said I was going to do and be equitable and be supportive to all, then things changed. And the people who had been there before began to talk to the people who had come in. And we really started moving forward and making great strides with working with all kinds of kids. When, um, when we talk about courage and vulnerability, what does that mean to you and how did that play a role in your leadership? Well, I used to say in principal meetings, I mean, in staff meetings, you know, they didn't teach that in principal 101. <laughs> I tried to share with the staff that I did not know everything and that together we could do more. And I would say to them, there are some decisions I have to make. There are some decisions I'm going to get your input and then I'm going to have to make those decisions. And then there are other decisions we're going to make together. And so by working with people and letting them know um, that I didn't know everything by far, that I had support groups. I mean, there was a lady principal group and we would share ideas and suggestions and I would tell the staff that. And um, so I think they knew that I was willing to say, gosh, I don't know. We're going to have to figure that out. Yeah. All right. I'm going to read a quote to you from Brene Brown's book and then we'll talk about it. Um, People are opting out of vital conversations about diversity and inclusivity because they fear looking wrong, saying something wrong, or being wrong. Choosing your own comfort over hard conversations is the epitome of privilege, and it corrodes trust and moves us away from meaningful and lasting change. So we talked about that you had retired 17 years ago and things were different then, but I would imagine that there were still discussions that needed to happen around privilege. Um, how did you approach these types of conversations with your staff? How did you talk about equity? Well, it was interesting because even in the early 2000s, we were having issues with diversity. We had kids who were moving in from um, very poor homes into our, quote, middle-class neighborhood. We had kids that came to us uh, from the motel. They were placed there by social services. So we had uh, economic um, inequities, and we had some higher income uh, houses. We did not have a lot of diversity as far as ethnicity. part that we did have, we did try to work on how we responded to kids culturally. Um, There wasn't a lot of that, but we did have discussions. And there were some videos that came out from the district that were helpful. I remember one in particular where they had a screen with like 12 different kids' pictures, and one was the valedictorian, and one was the drug addict, and one was this, and you really couldn't tell. And it prompted conversations to say, if you've got a kid walking in your door with orange hair in a mohawk, does that necessarily mean that's a problem kid? Mm-hmm. I mean, that was one kind of diverse issue we talked about. And it prompted us to have conversations that we needed to 
look past what the kid looked like or where they were living and what their socioeconomic background was. Um, I'm not sure I'm answering the question, but I remember those things. No, and I, I think that's exactly the question. And what is heartbreaking to me as I listen to you talk is we're continuing to have those same conversations as if they didn't happen then, you know? Well, and I think about our staff. We had um, one man, and at one point we had two men. We had a music teacher and a third grade teacher. And the rest were all white women, varying in age. And I, I did have the um, background to talk to them about, because we have two boys adopted from Thailand. And one was a special ed kid, and one was a gifted kid. And so I was able to talk to the staff about being the mom of diverse kids, both academically and the way they looked, and how that impacted my thinking about public school and how I wanted them to have positive experiences. And so there was a personal aspect that I could bring to share just on those kinds of things, special ed versus gifted, white versus uh, brown. And that helped, I think, sometimes not only my working with the staff, but with the parents. Mm -hmm. I can remember a parent, I mean, on more than one occasion coming in the office and saying, meeting with me and saying, well, my kid's got this issue. And I could say, yeah, I got one of those at my house. I get it. And here's some I'm doing. What are you doing? And so that was conversations that we could have. I think that leads so nicely to this next quote from the book. Um, and I, I wonder if there are some stories you could tell or a story that you can tell about that. Brene Brown says, trust is in fact earned in the smallest of moments. And what you were just talking about made me think about some of those small moments in your career. So can you tell some stories or something around those small moments that built trust with people? Well, hmm. I can remember being vulnerable because of our two boys. One had a lot of mental health issues. And so by sharing those with the staff, I could say it may look on the surface like everything's fine. And yet here are some issues with mundane things like getting your homework done. I can remember telling them, One weekend, David came home and he had 26 assignments that were due. And this was the gift. And so we spent the weekend doing those assignments. And I mean, I sat at the kitchen table with him. And then by the end of the weekend, he had them all in his backpack. You know, here was math was first period and science was this period. And he was all ready to go. And when he came home from school that Monday, they were all still in his backpack. Hmm. And so I said to the staff, You know, when you're the principal and you think you have the ability to help a kid because you can help other people's kids and then you don't, what does that say? I don't have all the answers. You as the teacher might think if the parent would just do X, Y, or Z, then this kid will succeed. And yet I could share with them. You see, it doesn't always work out when you do X, Y, or Z. And so that was... An example, I can remember another example. I had a third grade team who sent home a ton of homework every week. 
And I finally, when I had a third grade son, said, do you get it? I mean, we've got soccer. We have, um, we have Sunday school. We have Boy Scouts. Think about how the family is impacted with the amount of homework you're sending home. Is this really necessary? Mm-hmm. And they, none of these people had kids. <laughs> so they were willing to take a step back and say, well, this is important. I said, yes. However, which of this is really busy work and which of this is really something that is important if the family dynamics are such that the kid is never going to feel successful because the parent wants them involved in all this stuff and you want all this homework done. And so what's a fine balance we can come up with? Yeah. Um. So... Yeah. And the, you know, those are conversations we're continuing have too. <laughs> um, so Brene Brown says, what are we ethically called to do? Oh, sorry. What we are ethically called to do is create a space in our schools and classrooms where all students can walk in and for that day or hour, take off the crushing weight of their armor, hang it on a rack and open their heart to truly be seen. We must be guardians of a space that allows students to breathe and be curious and explore the world and be who they are without suffocation. So especially now, how do we create this for our students? Well, again, I think it goes back to trust. If you've got a staff that trusts you, and trust each other and can be vulnerable to say, as a group, what can we do? We know that by the end of the week or the quarter or the semester, these um, objectives need to be met. Yet, with all that's going on with kids, I won't even go into the whole remote learning and COVID thing, but just daily life, Mm -hmm. we have to think about balancing the personal and the educational because if you don't have a safe environment where a kid can walk in the door and feel like I can learn today then they're going to shut down and they're not going to learn anything I don't care how many objectives you have written on the board or the whiteboard or the smart board if they don't feel like they are welcomed and accepted they're not going to learn a darn thing Mm mm-hmm It just makes me want to cry to think about the pressure that we've put on kids to not only meet every objective that we've put on the board every day, but then we have testing, and then we have state testing, and then the teachers are, you know, evaluated on how well they do that, when some of the time we need to just use common sense. Yeah. I sure appreciate your heart for kids and teachers. (laughs) Thanks. So, all right, so last question that I did not put on your list. <laughs> oh. um, what advice would you give to a newly minted principal who's heading out into the world? <laughs> well, the advice that my mentor principal said to me is remember the people, the rest is paperwork. Mm. I love and that. And Bob Cook told me that he called me on my first day as principal at Peck Elmery in 1988, and that's what he said to me. And as I've said to many a baby principal, that is how I tried to be a principal, to remember the people, to remember the struggles that they're having on a daily basis and the joys they're having on a daily basis, 
and then use some common sense and try to make it work. I love that. Thank you so much, Mrs. Kathy Frank. <laughs> You're very welcome. <laughs>